Hello, I'm Donna Eco. I am the former board chair, current treasurer, and a board member of Less Cancer. And it's my great pleasure today to chat with my friend Don Beyer. Don is the U.S. Congressman representing Virginia's 8th District, and he's had a wonderful career, first as a successful businessman, as Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, and as President Obama's ambassador to Switzerland and Liechtenstein. And uh, we are so grateful to have you with us today, Don. Thank you. Don, it's always fun to be with you. We had many great plans for this coming year, and so many have been accomplished. I want to congratulate you and thank you for your leadership on so many of these items. And the first one I want to talk about, and one that Less Cancer is particularly excited about, is the great leadership on PFAS legislation. And um, I wondered if you wanted to just comment on that a little bit and all the all the good that's going to do for, for our country. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we put together uh, the PFAS Congressional Task Force uh, that I'm part of with many others. And Don, one of the best parts about this PFAS legislation is it's bipartisan. Uh, the big piece of legislation is co-sponsored by two Michigan Congress people, Debbie Dingell, a Democrat, and Fred Oppen, a Republican. And it, it's a basically, it's a bunch of PFAS bills that have been introduced over the years, rolled into one. But it establishes a national drinking water standard um, for this dangerous class of chemicals. It appropriately designates them as dangerous really for the first time. And that gives the EPA the right to be able to step in and, and regulate it. It classifies, it prevents future industrial discharges of PFAS. Um, just overall, you know, we, we've narrowed so many of the potential cancer-causing agents in, in, our, in our environment over the years, the ones we know about. But this will be the really next big step forward. And because it's bipartisan in the House, one of the things I've discovered is uh, when they're strictly partisan, the vote breaks down that way, you know, it's sort of 223 to 212. Um, but when it's seen to be a bipartisan people working together, it ends up being like 400 to 20. That's so um, great. Just everybody jumps on board, which also means there's a much better chance of getting to the Senate. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things for our work that's exciting is that people recognize the importance of taking action that prevents cancer in addition to the great work we do in research for curing it. Um, really taking some action steps to prevent it in the first place is so important and so great to see um, both sides of the aisle involved in that. Um, you know, but by the way, piling on with that, I'm still very proud that our U.S. smoking rate is under 15 percent right now. I think only Australia is better than us in the whole of the 200 plus countries in the world. The only one that has a, a smaller percentage of its population smoking. Um, and, you know, when I was growing up, a generation before you, Donna, um, it was like half of them smoked. And I remember my mom and dad's friends would keel over from, dead from heart attacks all the time in the 40s and 50s. And you rarely see that anymore. So we're, we've yeah. come a long way. I think it's one and, of and not just heart attacks, but obviously lung cancer. Yeah, I think it's one of the great public health um, accomplishments worldwide, and certainly in my lifetime, it's, it's really been astounding. Um, the other great thing that has been accomplished, and I'd like for you to speak to, in the infrastructure bill is all the effort to improve the water systems. Yeah, well, the initial, the initial hope in the infrastructure bill was to be able to fix the lead in every pipe all the way to your kitchen sink or your bathtub. Um, I think because it got scaled down in the Senate, uh, it still does every main uh, water line, you know, basically to 
um, I don't know if it's just to the to the curb, um, but really, really significant replacing all the lead line pipes in America. You know, after the Flint disaster and after we've seen all the evidence about what taking even small amounts of lead will do to a child's cognitive development or to an, uh, an older person's ability to um, withstand dementia for a much longer period of time. It's really important that we get the lead out. As a kid, my dad would always drive to the one Amico station they had in Northwest DC that uh, served unleaded gasoline. I'm not quite sure that he was into it on a cancer basis, but he knew that the unleaded was gonna be better for his, his beloved engines um, and certainly better for us. That's great. Um, and the, the next thing I wanted to talk about a little bit is the Build Back Better plan, which I know is not completely enacted yet, but, but seems to be on its way uh, in some form. And I wondered if you would talk a little bit about what public health um, initiatives are in there. And the one that kind of caught my eye, because I know they're not directly related to cancer prevention, but there are quite a number that I think could address obesity. Um, and I know you and I have talked about that in the past around diabetes, but it's also, as you probably know, one of the leading uh, predictors yeah. of cancer. Yeah. And, and just before we touch on the Build Back Better approach, there's a great essay, uh, maybe in the New York Times last week, uh, about Gary Taubes' most recent work. Gary is the author of uh, The Case Against Sugar. Uh, and so my friends in the sugar industry are not fans, <laughs> but uh, it is a very powerful book that I read a couple of years ago that argues that sugar is the most among the most addictive substances in the world. You give sugar to a baby or a dog or a horse or anything like that, and they're come back craving for it. Yeah. You know, we try never to give the dog any sugar because they'll follow you around the house uh, the rest of your life looking for hope for, for some, some more. Uh, and. And what this recent essay does is it challenges, again, the notion of the input-output model of weight gain and loss, you know, that if you take in 2,000 calories and you only burn 1,800, you're going to gain weight, and then take in 2,000 and burn 2,200, you lose weight. And yet we know lots of people who weigh way more than they would like to, they don't eat any more than the, the skinny people among us, that there's a lot more going on than simply... Um, what they call the sort of the calorie balance uh, theory. Uh, and that's relevant given how many people are uh, overweight, obese in America today. And that's just the 68 million that are pre-diabetics, but as you say, the, the much higher risk of all kinds of different cancers. So getting our hands around the nutritional correction, which at this point seems to be largely about eliminating uh, carbohydrates, processed foods, um, <clears throat> can go a long way to preventing the cancers. And is there um, a role for government in doing that? And if so, kind of how would that play out? Well, it's it's tough. You get uh, what um, the, the mayor of uh, Mayor Bloomberg tried in New York City by uh, prohibiting uh, big soft drinks. By the way, one of the things in Tom's book said that, and uh, I may have the numbers wrong by 5%, but in 1900, say 120 years ago, Americans took in about 13 pounds of sugar a year. Now we take in about 130 pounds a year per person. And roughly half of that comes in sweetened drinks. Wow. And uh, so giving up the those uh, big, you know, whatever they call those things from the 7-Eleven that are that big, um, yeah. can go a long way to get rid of that sugar. Yeah. Um, 
do you envision any um, legislation that could encourage that? I know this has always been a touchy point, but is there a way uh, that we can move forward on that? It's really tough. We just see how we are with vaccination mandates right now or mask mandates and how much they're resistant. It becomes this huge political or philosophical divide. And in the case of a vaccine, it's directly, are you going to die or not? I mean, it's like one in a million right now. Um, If you're vaccinated, you only have one in a million chance of dying from COVID. And virtually everyone, the thousands of people that are dying a day right now, almost all of them are unvaccinated. So to do something that might affect you 10 or 20 or 30 years away. So I think all we can do really is nudge it. You know, some of it could be tax policy and the way we have a cigarettes, but a lot of us can be trying to set the right examples, um, make sure that the government through the USDA is getting the right information out to us. Lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, very few processed foods, you know, taking good care of ourselves. Are there any um, nutritional elements to the Build Back Better plan, perhaps with the um, expanded uh, Creek Kindergarten or? The biggest thing on the the nutritional, there's a lot in there, but um, the the biggest three things I think were just increasing the affordability of health insurance. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's gotten pretty expensive. So they've done a lot to extend the premium subsidies. They're going to cut it about cut about $800 a year from your the cost of the premium in the Affordable Care Act. 48% of the new consumers are paying $10 or less per month, which is really big. A second big thing is they those states that refuse to expand Medicaid, um, we have, you, you will know that when they expanded Medicaid in Virginia, it added 550,000 people to the insured role. Um, there are a bunch of states that haven't done it, but now because they're afraid they didn't have the money. So we put that in the Build Back Better Act. We're actually funding the Medicaid expansion. And of course, that what that means is when you're going to the doctor, when you can afford to go to the doctor, when you have care, you have someone who can say, hey, you might want <laughs> to lose 10 pounds or 20 pounds, and here's how you can do it. Um, and then uh, the all the prescription medicines. You know, We finally have a start to getting the cost of medicines way down, making sure they can't increase faster than inflation. Um, diabetes medicine now, insulins, maximum $35 per month. There's all kinds of pieces of this that are giving people better health care, which hopefully will lead them to better nutrition. And Donna, maybe the single most important piece of this is we realize that the, the section of healthcare that is most neglected is primary care doctors. We have lots of wonderful specialists. Our, our med students are attracted to the specialties because well, for a lot of reasons, maybe more interesting, it's more, more money, uh, maybe better hours. But it's those primary care doctors that make sure you're doing the things year in and year out that are going to keep you healthy for the long run. Well, and that's a great way for us to end our conversation today, because one of the important roles that less cancer plays is in educating medical professionals in order for them to then be able to pass on prevention uh, techniques and advice to their, their patients. Um, and in fact, the little conversation we're having today is part of the broader Cancer Prevention Day workshop, which will be streamed live and taped, obviously combined, but then also lives on on Coursera as continuing medical education credits uh, for people who want to watch that. So that's really our mission. And we appreciate all your support, uh, both um, 
with our workshop and everything you do for Virginia and the rest of the country and Congress. Donna, we've come so far in our lifetimes in terms of preventing cancer and healing the cancers that do occur. And thank you for your leadership in the Cancer Less Cancer to keep pushing us hard in that direction.